Go back as far as your memories will allow. Back to your childhood. Can you recall the moment that you became aware of gender? Do you remember how gendering was a part of your everyday life? Do you remember the clothes you wore? Were you dressed or adorned in ways that displayed your sex category, female or male? And what about your toys? What were your favorites? Do you remember going to a toy store for the first time? What were you drawn to? Which aisles did you seek out? Did you have a gendered preference? Did you prefer dolls or action figures? Did you want a Barbie or a toy gun? Both of these, none of these? What was your preference? Do you remember where you told your preference or did it come naturally? Do you remember the first time you consciously performed gender when you told yourself to act like a girl or act like a boy? Did someone else tell you or did you decide on your own? Think about that moment. Where did you fall on the spectrum between feminine and masculine? Were you told you were pretty and sweet? Were you told to man up? Think about the first time you were aware of gender social norms. And as this comes into focus, think of a moment when you witnessed what may have been deemed inappropriate gender behavior. How did you respond? How did others around you respond? Can you recall a time as a child where you experimented with some new form of behavior only to be told that this behavior was not appropriate for your assigned gender? What about your parents? Were there different expectations between them? Can you remember a time when you as a child learned a specific gender behavior from an adult family member? Welcome to the second episode of Women of Cincy's podcast, What is a Woman? My name is Liz Rosevear, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers, and I will be your host. In our second episode, we'll be exploring the question, what is gender inclusion? We want to dive deeper, beyond just our name, Women of Cincy, and have a conversation around gender identity that's inclusive to all members of our Cincinnati community. Now is the time to have this conversation in our city. The meditation you heard in the opening of the podcast was performed by Jenny Jenkins. Jenny is a social justice advocate, feminist, and activist. She spent most of her adult life working on issues of equality and equity. She has a bachelor's degree in social science, master's degree in women's and gender studies, and currently works at Cincinnati's largest soup kitchen, Our Daily Bread. Gender can be a complex topic, and Jenny will be defining some terms and concepts throughout the episode. You also hear personal experiences about what gender identity and inclusion mean to three different individuals, Logan, Amy, and Jessica. Each of these stories brings a unique perspective full of the ups and downs of finding one's true self. Everything we do here at Women of Cincy is about creating empathy. Through the stories and discussions you're about to hear, we hope you're encouraged to have your own conversations around gender inclusion and to welcome folks of all identities into your community. We don't plan to lecture you, We're here to present these stories in a manner of both respect and, yes, fun. So sit back, open your mind, and get ready to join the conversation. What is... Sex. sex. Sex refers to the biological or physical sex or a person's identity that is based on their biological or physical traits. That basically society has assigned in the categories of male or female. Danny, 
I am a writer for Women of Cincy and also a local startup called Untold Content. My pronouns are she, her, hers, um, and I'm here today with Logan. Thank you so much for being here um, and for sharing some of your experiences with us. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Logan, and I don't have anything cool about me like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm 23, and I don't have much of a pronoun preference. Um, I've lived in Cincinnati for five years, um, and I am pretty boring other than that. I like to stay at home, and uh, I've been with my partner for five years now, too. When you think about your experiences with gender, your first experiences with gender, what comes to mind? Yeah, so I don't really have that like specific moment um, where I kind of noticed gender or noticed that my gender didn't really fit the people around me or other people that I was friends with. Um, I don't really have that one specific moment in time. Um, I came out as a lesbian when I was 15, Mm -hmm. and that never really felt completely right um, because I always was interested in women. And um, so I know that I have other friends who are in the community who feel like when they came out, that was like right for them. They had that moment where they felt like I'm gay or I'm bisexual or queer in any other sense, and that was that was like a big deal for them because they understood the way that they felt. And I didn't ever have that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, there was, I, I feel like there was just a, a disconnect between my gender and my sexuality at that point. Um, so I think that a couple of months after I came out um, and it didn't really, it was pretty anticlimactic. It didn't feel as good as I feel like it should have. Um, I was watching MTV and uh, I was watching True Life. And there was an episode about a um, transgender person who was transitioning in Kentucky. Um, And it followed him getting top surgery. Um, And that was when it kind of clicked for me when I was watching him and he was talking about the way that he felt about his gender and what it meant to him and the things that he wanted to do. He was taking hormones and he was getting top surgery. Um, and he had changed his name and those were things I think that was the first time where I was like I feel like that too Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's something that that I would like to do and that was when it kind of clicked to me like I could do that too and that that was probably the first time that I ever really not noticed it but that it felt right right I feel like when we talked a few days ago we definitely had that moment of when you hear about someone else's experience, sometimes it makes it that much more of a reality to you mm-hmm. and makes it that much more possible. Um, when you think about that time of your life and kind of making that change on a mental level, who were the people around you? What was your community like? And has that changed much? Now? So when I was younger, I didn't really have much of a community. Um, I think that that's part of why it took me so long because I wasn't really exposed to other people who were queer or other people who were transgender, Mm -hmm. um, which is why it took me until I saw true life to realize (laughs) that there are other people who felt the same way. Um, Once I kind of moved out of my parents' house and I went to UC, um, I started meeting other people who were like me um, and I started working at Kings Island, which... There, it doesn't sound like fun, but it was a really good job for when you were in school because it was only during the summertime. Um, and I met other people my age who who kind of felt the same way. Other people who were um, who were gay or or just not necessarily straight, I guess. Um, and I met Lauren there. I met my partner there. So um, she's been there the whole time. So she's mm-hmm. been my biggest source of support um my family isn't so great about it Mm -hmm. they are okay but um it's taken a long time for them to get there Mm -hmm. uh so i i think that my biggest support has probably been her and not so much friends and family what does good support look like in your life so good support for me i think is just being understanding 
I think that some people think that they have to say certain things or act a certain way or they have to get really involved in the community to be supportive Mm -hmm. or they have to kind of come to you and tell you that they support you specifically. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's true. I think that that's good. That's great if you want to do those things, but that doesn't, that's not something that you have to do. If you are just willing to listen to somebody and not treat them any differently because of their gender, their sexuality, I think that that is, for me, that's, that's good support. Just feeling like I've, I'm being understood, not necessarily like somebody has to start going to pride with me or, (laughs) or anything like that. Um, I, it's mostly just if I can, if I can talk about it and if I can feel respected and understood or at least if somebody is trying to understand mm-hmm. what I'm saying and the way that I feel, then I think that that's great. Um, when you think about the transgender community, um, now that you have come out and um, are experiencing this life this way, do you feel like you belong in that community? Sometimes. Um, I think that it's definitely a process. Um, before I came out, I felt like I, I couldn't transition because I didn't necessarily want the same things that other people wanted. Um, so my main thing for me was top surgery. I had a lot of dysphoria on my chest. Um, I'd been binding for a long time and I felt like I couldn't get that surgery because someone who was more trans than me should get it. Um, or that because I didn't, I wasn't sure if I wanted to start hormones or not that I, you know. I should be waiting for that mm-hmm. um, because I think that that's that is the more transi- traditional route is kind of uh, hormones and then surgery and for me that wasn't really what I wanted I, I definitely wanted surgery first um, and that it made me feel like I didn't really belong like mm-hmm. I didn't really fit in with other people who were transitioning because I always thought that there was a specific path and because I didn't want to take that path that maybe I wasn't really transgender or that I didn't have a right to call myself that because I didn't identify in a hyper-masculine way, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Could you explain dysphoria a little bit? It's hard. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's definitely, it's, yeah, it's a difficult concept, especially like if you, if you don't feel that way, it's, it's hard to explain just not feeling right about your body. Mm. Um, I don't, I have never really known how to explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have always felt like there was something that was not right. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen other people who are comfortable in their bodies, and that was always hard for me because I knew that I didn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've i never been able to explain it very well to other people. Right. Um, it's something that it's like if you've never experienced it, then it's really hard to relate to to relate to yeah and I'm sure that there are definitely times when like you know there have I'm sure that there have been times when like you get a bad haircut and you don't Mm -hmm. want to go anywhere because you think your hair looks bad right and so there are definitely things that people understand about their appearance that you know they don't like that or Mm -hmm. they're they don't want to go out in public because they look that way so when talking about conventional and unconventional paths in the transgender community why did you opt to do surgery first? So that was that was just my main source of dysphoria. I think that I always had, I always felt like I might want to go further. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a long time, I, I didn't know if I wanted to or not. But I knew that I wanted surgery. And I think a lot of that was denial, hoping that I would get surgery and it would fix everything. And I would feel mm-hmm. better and that I wouldn't need to go any further and I could be comfortable in my body. Um, So I really felt like that was what I wanted to do first. And after I had it, I was really excited and I was satisfied with that for about three months. Mm. And (laughs) then I felt like I was kind of like, I need to, like, I I still don't feel the way that I wanted to feel. And in a way, my dysphoria almost got worse because it was like, well, this was supposed to fix everything for me. So why don't I feel better now? Why do I still feel this way? So um, I cut my hair and that kind of helped for a little bit. And I think probably like a month after I cut all my hair off, I decided that I was going to try and pursue hormones. And um, I never liked my name. I knew that that was something that I wanted to change, but that didn't necessarily feel like 
transition to me that was just I didn't like my name so I wanted to change it. What was it like to start having those conversations in less safe places, safe, quote-unquote, safe places like work? Yeah, I was really nervous about having that conversation. It was something that I had been sitting on for a long time at work. Um, I feel like in your personal life, you kind of have some leeway. You know, you can come out to your friends um, whenever you feel like you need to because maybe you don't see them as often. I know personally, I don't see my friends for eight hours a day, five times a week. Um, but that is where I spend, I work is where I spend all of my time. So I feel like the people that I was spending so much time with were noticing, but if somebody in my personal life has a problem with it, it's as easy as just that's it. And we don't, we don't have to be friends anymore. Mm-hmm. At work, it's kind of harder to say that and you know you can't just leave your job you you don't want to do that and you don't want to make anybody else uncomfortable because you have to work with them and you have to see them so often um so it was something that i was really nervous about um and i wasn't looking forward to having the conversation at all um (laughs) but i was filing for my legal name change so i obviously had to i had to tell them about it Um, and I thought about just telling them that I was changing my name with no context, but then I felt like I would start to look different and sound different and it would become kind of obvious. I, I have two managers and I knew that one of them was going to be okay with it. Um, he's gay and he works, uh, really, he's really involved with the community in Cincinnati. So I knew he was going to be fine with it. My other manager... I, I wasn't necessarily sure how she was going to feel about it. Um, and I just kind of decided that I had to do it anyway. She was going to know. She had to know. So uh, on Friday that I, on the Friday that I filed my name change, I sent her an email and I kind of typed it out and I was like, I don't want to send this. I don't actually, I asked her if we could just talk on Monday Right. <laughs> and I was nervous to send it. And, um, I, I was like, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can, if I'm ready for this, but I hit send and then I immediately clocked out and shut my laptop and, <laughs> and I left, um, because I didn't want to see her response and I didn't want her to ask for context. So I thought that if I just left, then we wouldn't have to talk about it until Monday. Um, and so Monday came and, uh, she, I was nervous about it all day. Um, I didn't get to talk to her until like three o'clock in the afternoon. So that was already pretty much through my work day. And, uh, we sat down and, um, she was like, what do you want to talk about? So she obviously had no idea what was going on and I didn't know how she was going to be about it. And I started crying because I was so nervous. Because all the anticipation. Yeah, all the anticipation. She had no idea what was going on, so right. she probably was just going about her whole day and sat down and asked me what was up, and I started crying. And she, <laughs> oh, no. she was probably not expecting that. Um, and I just, I didn't say anything for a little while, and I eventually just told her that I am transitioning and I have to tell you because I'm changing my name. And um, she was really cool about it. Uh, she was just like, okay, what do you want to be called? And that was so refreshing because I feel like people who are not a member of the community have a lot of questions first or they don't know what to say. So it was really great that she just immediately picked up on, okay, well. Let's get started. Let's get started, yeah. Yeah. She was kind of like, I don't know all that much about this, but I'm going to figure it out and like this is going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So that was nice. I felt... I felt really supported just straight from that first conversation. Um, and we told my other manager and he was of course okay with it. Mm-hmm. Obviously he was fine. Um, and he was a really great resource for um, just the entire process. Um, and after those first two conversations that I had with both of my managers, it got a lot easier. And then people I think were not really asking so many questions about it. They just kind of accepted it, mm-hmm. which was great um, because I didn't have to have that conversation over and over and over again. Um, and my workplace has been really clear on their policy. Um, they wrote an entire policy about it, actually, <laughs> um, that, you know, basically said, 
we have transgender employees and it's okay for them to transition in the workplace and they're protected. And I thought that that was great because that wasn't what I was expecting at all. Um, I was expecting kind of an, okay, that's fine. And then that would be it. Yeah. Moving on. Um, so I'm really excited that I, I was nervous at first. I didn't want to be the first one, but now that it's over, I'm glad that it won't be so stressful for the next person that they're going to know what to expect and you know, where they're going to end up and that it's going to be okay because somebody else has done it first. Exactly. You've done that hard work of making the space safe for other people in the future. Yeah. um, Which is amazing. So as you kind of set that stage for other people in your workplace and as you continue to navigate other spaces, um, what do you wish more people knew about transgender issues? So I I feel like I wish that more people knew that it's not the same for everybody. Um, Just because you know one transgender person doesn't mean you know all of them. And it doesn't mean that you know what's right for them and their transition. Um, I feel like if I had known that or if that had been something that was talked about more, then I wouldn't have spent so many years kind of grappling with myself over whether or not I could do it and whether or not it was right for me um, if I had known that I didn't have to be hyper-masculine to be valid, then I think that this would have been a lot easier for me from the beginning. Um, so I I definitely wish that more people knew that, you know, it's it's different for everyone and it's all valid. It's okay to do whatever you feel like you need to do to be comfortable in your body. So with everything that you've shared so far with your experiences, um, I'm wondering how you would define gender inclusion I also wish that people knew that they don't have to be, they don't have to do anything special to be supportive. You can just be there for somebody and be open-minded and understanding. And even the smallest shows of support are enough to kind of make someone feel comfortable in in talking about it. So, you know, you don't have to, like, be open about it all the time but even just small things like you know I support you and I think that this is really great that you feel comfortable enough to do that and it can be left at that and that makes me feel so much better about the people around me because I know that it's not a big deal but they are supportive so I think that that's a conversation that should be had more often absolutely I couldn't agree more thank you so much for being here today Logan and sharing your experiences What is gender? Gender is the cultural meanings attached to male and female and the attributes that a society or culture constitutes as masculine or feminine. So uh, society kind of expects people to look and behave a certain way depending on their biological sex. This is how gender is done. People born with male anatomy are usually expected to act and look masculine and people born with female anatomy are expected to act feminine. However, we all express masculinity and femininity in different ways, and we all relate to elements of both differently because gender is a human production. So gender is not fixed. It's uh, not innate, but instead it varies across time and place. It's fluid, it's constantly created and recreated out of human interaction and social life. So it also involves social norms, attitudes, behaviors, and activities that society deems more appropriate for one biological sex over another. And gender is also a social institution and one of the major ways human beings organize their lives through religion, law, science, society's entire set of values legitimize the process of gendering. Gender determines women's and men's different access to rights, resources, and power in society. episode of What is a Woman is sponsored by Untold Content, a writing consultancy that helps professionals share their insights. 
Learn to write with gender-inclusive language in Untold's new online course, Wordsmith, a grammar and writing refresher. Enroll now at untoldcontent.com wordsmith. pronouns are she, her, hers. My name is Amy, and I also use she, her, hers. So Amy, if you want to start off by talking about your experience of first coming out as transgender. Okay, um, I think I'll back up a little bit and tell you a little bit about uh, where I come from. So my story is a little different that I in that I had uh, repressed everything until about five years ago. Um, and so I didn't really know I was transgender. I just thought I was a guy. I didn't struggle with this my whole life um, consciously. It, all, it was all very much unconscious. And so about five years ago, um, well, even back and before that, I was getting very depressed. I think I'd lived depressed most of my life, but I've gotten more and more. And part of it was that I started losing interest in all the things that I did. And I get down to, I was really only interested in one thing, which was going out hiking and camping. That was my obsession. It kept me up in the morning and things to think about. And then that summer of uh, 13, I went out on two magnificent hikes. And two days later, I would think about it and I'd say, eh, that was okay. And so I no longer had that real big interest and drive to keep me going. And I went into real depression after that. And uh, as I went into that fall, I started to look at things about being transgender still as an ally. I didn't wasn't thinking that I'm trans. It just somehow I came across this material and I started looking at it. And for some reason, it was interesting. Um, reading all sorts of stories and the like. And then one day in December, I sat down to read one of the stories I'd been following. And uh, I asked myself the question, why? And when I started thinking about it, there was only one thing in common on all the things I had looked at. And that it was about trans and automatically I remember doing this Google search without even thinking about it how would I know that I'm transgender and I started mm -hmm. looking through these various replies and the first few didn't help because I, was, I feel like a girl all my life and I hadn't felt like a girl all my life and I, I kept looking I finally came one where some trans women were answering that questions and they talked about how they felt before they transitioned and about the um, ways they thought um, fantasies they had and as I'm reading through this I remember there's like 10 different things and I'm reading through it. I remember my mind was like a checklist and I'd read one thing they did and I'd go check and another one and check and I get done and as a teacher I thought hey I think I got an A on that <laughs> um, so that you know the, there, I guess I should mention some of the things that were there they, um, a couple of mentioned being a compulsive cross-dresser from a very young age and that, that was me mm -hmm. um, I knew that and it was Sort of compartmentalized. I never talked about it or anything, but I did do that from a very young age. Um, fantasizing you're a woman, you know, when you meet some beautiful woman, you didn't want to go and get her, you wanted to be her. And I re realized that and I started thinking about all the time I'd spent fantasizing that I was a woman. And so I knew at that moment that I was trans intellectually, but it took a lot longer to accept that emotionally. At that point, I was in a very conservative life. My wife is, well, still is, a very conservative person, conservative Christian. She was sitting five feet away from me as I was reading this on the computer, and I thought, "Oh, this is not, this is not going to go well." Um, and but the, one of the things I kept reading was, if you even think you're trans, you should see a, a gender therapist. And so I thought, well, I wonder if Cincinnati even has gender therapists. You know, mm. Cincinnati's always behind the times, but. It turns out we have several good people. And the hard part of it was that I knew I was gonna have, if I was going to go anywhere, I'd have to talk to this therapist or somebody. And every time I'd start to think about telling anyone else, my anxiety would just spike right through the roof. It was, it was like I'd get to a certain point of thinking. I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to do that so that I could bring my anxiety back down. And then finally, I remembered that NKU, two months before that, had hired a full-time LGBTQ coordinator. And I didn't know the name because that wasn't part of my life, but I remembered reading that somewhere. So I eventually looked it up, found Bonnie Meyer's name, who's just a wonderful person. Mm -hmm. um, and I went to call her. 
And so I'd push the first button, my anxiety would come up, and I'd push the next button to call her, and the anxiety would go even higher, and the third one I had to hang up. Uh, I did that three oh times, each time in between. I'd go down and get a drink of water, use some excuse, look out the window, um, lower my anxiety by walking around, but I couldn't do it. So I found, maybe if I write an email, I'm only going to push one button. <laughs> so I wrote the email. It took me three tries, but I eventually pushed that button. And I remember the anxiety was so bad, I almost stood up to try to grab that thing back and get the email back. I can't even remember what I wrote. I obviously didn't say I was trans, but I said something that I need to talk to you. She said, well, come over and see me. And I went out and I had this. This was my coming out moment. It was the wor I, I like to call it the world's worst coming out ever. I walked in the office and I said something like, I think maybe I might be trans. And then my throat just constricted. I could not talk for another five minutes. And Bonnie's just filling up time talking and being very nice and accepting. Um, and after five minutes, I said another sentence. And it was like another, you know, I don't really remember any of that because it was so emotional. Mm. But it like was a very big player. emotional release. And it was, she accepted me. And that was a big help. Um, it took me a while to even accept that I was trans. You know, I knew it, but it took a while to accept it. And by March, I did that. My third coming out was to my wife because we had this very much honest relationship with each other, I guess, at least on the surface. I know I had all this stuff I couldn't even tell myself, obviously. But And so um, usually I do this bunch of guys in the room. And what I do is I tell them, if you want something to a conversation start with your wife, don't use I think I might be trans. It does <laughs> not work well. Um, it was very bad. Uh, situation. Nobody yelled at each other. It was obviously very, very rough and went on for hours. And um, But we went through that. My gender th therapist was telling me to start exploring because, I, again, I didn't feel like a girl. I had, didn't have that sort of background. So she wanted me to start exploring that part of myself. I remember the first time she said, well, you got to explore your feminine part. And this part of my brain went, uh, feminine part? I'm a guy. I don't have a feminine part. You know, <laughs> the way you're taught as a male is you don't have feminine. So... Um, so I started doing that, and um, as time went along, I, I, I would have time alone at home. I would dress a little bit, you know, skirt, whatever. I don't remember at the time, but I, I would dress, and it, it felt a little, little bit good. And so th that summer, I had time alone. We had a cabin in New England um, up near the White Mountains, and I went up there alone. And my normal thing to do was to get out and go hiking or kayaking or whatever, exciting. And I would go there and it'd be cold, cool in the morning. It was May in New Hampshire. It's still cool in the morning. So I'd say, oh, about 10 o'clock, I'll leave. And I would get dressed. And I, was doing, I wasn't doing anything exciting, maybe sitting and reading. I remember once just cleaning the cabin. And I'd be sitting there. And then when 11 o'clock would roll around, I'd realize, oh, I didn't go out doing whatever I want. And I'm perfectly comfortable as I am. And that was the first time I'd ever felt that just contentment with being where, who I am and where I am. I always felt like I needed to be somewhere else or doing something else. And that was the moment when I said, I'm going to transition. So I'm curious to know in this, you know, stretched out period and these multiple coming outs, as you've been calling them, um, what was going through your head or what was pushing you forward to continue the process? Okay, so obviously every time I did it coming out, there was a lot of anxiety there because I didn't want to be rejected. So that's the one side of it. So that made it hard. But there was something in me um, very early on that wanted to be seen. So there was another person I came out to in December, and you know, I, she worked in the dean's office. So I grabbed her once when I saw her over near my place and said, i got to tell you something. So I was get done to it. She said, you know, that was the strangest thing I ever saw. You're sitting there shaking because of the anxiety, and at the same time, you're smiling. So it's this part of me that was very happy about coming out and being seen. And I think that's what was pushing me to do the, you know, all the coming outs. So, so as we move forward, I was going to come out, I eventually decided I was going to come out that summer. So I've been working in my same department for almost 30 years at that point. And some of the same people I'd been working with for 30 years. And so it was good. that was kind of a hard coming out. So. Mm -hmm. And it was also hard to do. How do you tell people that you want to talk to them about coming out as trans without telling them that that's what you're going to do because you want to control that conversation? And so I ended up um, writing him an email just saying, there's something very important I've got to talk to you about, and I'll have a meeting about it on Thursday. And if you want to see more, go look at the letter in, your, in my mailbox, and they could all go pick that up. Mm. And then it basically I told them that I'm trans. And that was about all I said, you know, that we'd been together, been through a lot. 
shared family things and hardships. And now I've got this, I'm trans and I'm hoping you can accept me, kind of hear about it. And so that next day I had maybe 15, 20 people, some of them I'd worked together for years, a couple of us worried about what they were going to say. Um, and so I started, I just did a story kind of like I'm doing here, sort of a simplified version of this about what happened and why I know I'm trans and, and so on. And I'm looking at a couple of the people I was worried about and they're just kind of mesmerized, listening to my story. And I think, hey, this is going pretty well. Yeah. And it did. I got to a point where I say, you know, I'm really not ready to transition yet, but I have to do it. And it's kind of like I teach my students. You don't have to know everything to start a problem. Just jump in there and you'll learn what you need to know. So that's what I'm going to do. So if I look a little weird this summer, please accept me. And the oldest faculty member in the department says, oh, don't worry about it. We're math people. We're used to weird. <laughs> And then everybody came and accepted. It was, it was just perfect. I it, love that. And KU has just been wonderful in, in so many ways. In the so in the weeks and months and years after transitioning, has there been a moment where you've really felt a sense of relief or happiness, or that you are truly yourself? Um, I can't really put my finger on a specific specific moment, but there are a lot of times when I'll just be out and about and talking to other people where I just feel so much more comfortable. I'm just me and I'm accepted as me and it doesn't matter that I'm trans. Um, going into the transition, I thought this is weird. I'm going to be this really weird person the rest of my life. But from internally, now I feel more normal than I ever felt before when people thought I was normal. So, so yeah, I just feel I'm comfortable most of the time. I, I certainly couldn't have done an interview like this before. It was just impossible for me to talk about myself. So. So what does gender inclusion mean to you or look like to you or examples in your life where you've, you've seen that happen? Okay, um, it's a tough question. <laughs> um, so one of the things I get involved in after I came out is um, some drum circles. So it's just people sit around playing drums in a, in a circle, as it sounds like. And the first time I went, someone, I just showed up in a friend, with a friend of mine, and she handed me a drum and said, play. And I said, okay. Uh, but the second time I went, I went to go to play and my um, arm was hurting. So I stopped playing and there, there was a few women dancing in the middle. So I went in the back of a, behind some pews there we were in the back of a church. And I'm kind of dancing. I'd never danced well, but I'm kind of dancing by myself. And I was thinking, I would love to be included in that group up there in the middle. But I didn't really feel as a trans person like I should be included or I didn't want to push in on what might be a, you know, inclusive to women or exclusive to women. And so as I'm sitting there kind of dancing away back there, I thought I saw one of the women gesture for me to come up. But I still couldn't convince myself that that's what I saw. So I waited a few minutes and another one gestured. So eventually I just, I'm going to do it. And I just jumped up there and I started dancing. And they just, I was just me up there. I was just another one of the women. That to me is gender inclusion. You know, it doesn't matter where someone comes from. If they're a woman, if they identify as a woman, invite them in. So, and... You know, gender inclusion is just including other people, letting them do whatever you do. And I know for a lot of trans women, I think this is my opinion. I shouldn't, don't want to sound like an authority here. For a lot of trans women, I think that inclusion stops because you put your own block up and say, I'm not going to be included. I don't dare go over there. And I, I've actually, I think I've seen some people sort of fail in their transition because they didn't feel included. And it was, I think, more in their mind. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't know how far I can push that, but I've been included in, in a number of places like that where I really wasn't, you know, uh, expecting to be. Um, the other, you know, bigger gender inclusion, it's not just women, right? It's men, women, and in between, you know, the, the, the bigger spectrum of trans people. And I see a lot of problems with that in the trans groups around town where some people insist you have to be binary, binary, have surgery, all these other things. And other groups, doesn't matter who you are. You might look like a woman, but identify as a man and nobody cares. Or if you might say, I'm non-binary, I'm genderqueer, and we include everybody. And when I see groups like that, it's great. It's, it's nice seeing the, all the different varieties of people out there. And they're all just people and they're all just trying to figure out who they are. And if you just include them, it, it, it's great fun. It's great seeing the different ways people can express yeah. gender and themselves. Absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm so happy that you could come and join us today and talk about your experience. Well, thank so you. Thank for you.
is gender expression gender expression is how you communicate your gender externally based on traditional gender roles expressed through the ways you act dress behave speak and interact and which may or may not conform to the socially defined behaviors um, and their characteristics typically associated with being either masculine or feminine so it's that that outward expression what's what you do happy you're here with us today, Jessica, to kind of tell us about your experiences and your story. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to sure. our listeners? Yeah, so I'm Jessica Ciccinelli. Mm-hmm. I am the co-founder of Living With Change, and um, I am a stay-at-home mom. I have three lovely children. Our oldest child was probably about the age of like three years old. She would come to us, you know, we would She'd be playing, and she would just come to us randomly and say, Mommy, I'm a girl. Daddy, I'm a girl. Our oldest was born a boy um, and lived life like a boy for eight years, I guess it was. Um, but so at, like, three, we started noticing this. She was, in, she was in preschool and at the time was Luke and was a boy. And the teacher calls me and says, Hey – you know, Luke is really confusing the children. He is going into the girls' bathroom, like telling them that he's a girl. And kind of fast forward through the years and he would play with Barbies and um, we had a niece, we have have a niece who's four years older and she's super girly and she would like curl his hair and put makeup on him. And Chris, my husband was like, what is going on? Mm -hmm. Like, we just, you know, I, I kind of would let it go because I'm like, well, this kind of happens when they're younger. Like, they're just testing. He, he's testing the waters. He's just trying to figure out who he is. Um, so this went on for years. And um, then it was the summer before third grade. We were in Florida. And it was Chris's whole family. And Elsie was kind of like at the end of the pool, like not playing with anyone, really not talking, just like very introverted and just it was it was sad and Mm -hmm. so Chris's mom was like you know you have to do something like something is not right like this child is so introverted and not himself like something's going on so the next day we went home we went back to Cincinnati and we were going to New York City Mm -hmm. the following day so we had to go get gym shoes we're in Nordstrom and um I'm like picking up all these boys shoes like do you like these no Mm -hmm. do you like these no and I'm like do you want something more colorful? Do you want to go over to, before I could even say the girls section, he like had a pair of shoes. This is what I want to wear. I'm like, okay, let's get them. So we got them. Well, then he picked out a pair of wedges. Like, can I buy these? I'm like, what are you going to wear them with? Well, can I get a dress? I'm like, okay, sure. So I'm thinking, all right, we're going to New York. Like, let's just go with it right now. I'm just following my child's lead, right? So mm-hmm. we go to New York. As soon as we get there, we go to Forever 21. I mean, first place to go in New York is Forever 21, right? <laughs> but so we go to Forever 21, and my mother-in-law's with me, and we pick out, like, dresses and skirts and jewelry and whatever, and literally we did not unpack that suitcase. Elsie mm-hmm. wore her clothes, like, the new clothes the entire week. Um, we got back home, and she went with it. Like, she kept wearing those outfits. Like, she even, she would volunteer at summer camp at school, and she... Mm-hmm had no shame she's like this is who I am this is what I like to wear and she wore it she experienced it yeah was bringing it back home totally so she um started school and we're like all right what are you gonna do and she decided that she wanted to go to school as a girl that that's who she was and that's where we we decided that we were gonna call her Elsie you think of your experiences with Elsie and this whole learning process and starting the foundation what, how do you think that your perspective has changed as a parent? I've just learned to just be open and loving and just try not to judge people. Like, it, that's so easy to do in this world, and right. people do it. 
so <laughs> often and so quickly. I am curious <clears throat> about your work with living with change and mm-hmm. the families that you have met and the schools that you mm-hmm. might be working with and training with. What are some of the fears that you hear from parents and families? Are there things that come up more often than others? Um, I mean, I think that just in life, like anything you're not educated on, you're you're afraid of. I mean, anything. Um, so I think, I mean, fears for parents with transgender children, I think like, you know, you just want your child to be safe. I mean, the 41% of transgender people attempt suicide, commit or attempt suicide. And it's just that, honestly, when I heard that statistic, that is the day that I called Chris and I was like, crying my eyes out and I'm like I do not want to lose my child over this like I I think that I didn't realize it but I think it was that day that I was like oh my god I'm gonna cry (laughs) it was that day that I was like you know what I'll do whatever I have to do in order for my child to be whoever she is no matter if people agree with it or don't agree with it and it's just because I mean that's heartbreaking like to think of these families that like lose their children because of this you know it's just and I didn't want to do that I mean mm-hmm. so yeah so so I think I would have to say that the parents of transgender um children I, I mean I would say they just they're they worry about their future you know mm-hmm. like the the just how people are going to treat them how people are going to react what they're going to say if they're going to be mean and right but that's where living with change comes in is because our goal is to educate Mm -hmm. you know educate go into the schools and educate the teachers and the staff and the faculty and you know when they do have a transgender child that you know either comes out or transfers or whatever they know exactly what to do and how to handle it and how to treat this child same as in the businesses so you know, we got the schools covered, but then these kids go home and they start to talk to their parents about, well, I have a transgender child in my class. We want to make sure the parents understand too. So that's why we want to get into all of these workplaces and educate all of these people in the different workplaces. And the schooling, um, we provide that the training in the schools for free. When you think of your hopes for the future with the work you're doing with Living With Change, what does that look like? So, I mean... Our hope is that we can get into every school in, you know, in the area. Our hope is that we can get into every business, but also take this nationally. I mean, why couldn't we, you know, roll this out to other places? And, I mean, the world needs more love and <laughs> kindness and, like, and just understanding. And, like, that's – I just think, like, by sharing our story, people are like, oh – okay, I understand. Like, I get it as a parent. So when you're considering this future that you're envisioning, what resources, what people, what action do you need to make that future happen? So just people to get on board. People, if they want to volunteer, they can get on our website, um, send an email, livingwithchange.org. Just get involved and just, you know, if they want to get involved with our foundation, that's how they can do it. Um, we're hoping to have some events in the future. We have a symposium uh, September 15th, which is going to be very exciting. Mm-hmm. It'll give everybody, it's for anybody can come, and it's information and just education on transgender and inclusivity and all of that. As we come to the close of this interview, we'd like to ask you what gender inclusion means to you and We know that this is a difficult question to answer, that there isn't any one answer, but we love hearing different perspectives, and we know that our listeners do too. I mean, I just think that it's the inclusion of anyone and everyone, and no matter if you're a girl, a boy, somewhere in the middle, I mean, I just, I think that gender is so fluid, and it's just being again like loving and being nice to people and just including them for who they are like who who cares who they are and what they are just they're a person so just respect them um thank you so much for being here with us today jessica and sharing your experiences thank you thanks for having me It's no secret that our culture has complicated relationships with food, exercise, and appearance. In fact, 
30 million Americans will struggle with a full-blown eating disorder in their lifetime, and millions more will battle food and body image issues that have untold negative impacts on their lives. Join the National Eating Disorders Association in the fight against eating disorders at the 6th annual Cincinnati NIDA Walk. Through NIDA Walks, we are raising critical funds, restoring hope, and changing the conversation surrounding eating disorders. With every dollar raised, they are one step closer to the shared vision of a world without eating disorders. Walk with Cincinnati NIDA on Saturday, October 6th at Glenwood Gardens from 9 a.m. until 11 a.m. Register or donate online at nidawalk.org slash Cincinnati2018. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a freelance writer and photographer, and we are back with Amy, Logan, and Jessica. Hi. Um, my first question is, time is precious, and you chose to spend it here with us, sharing your story. Why did you feel like this is important at this moment? I'm Jessica, right here. Um, <laughs> I, um, since you're looking at me, I'll answer first. Um, you know, for me, I think that this is such an important cause. It's near and dear to my heart. And um, I want to see some change in the world. And I think that by sharing my family's story, that hopefully will open people's eyes and hearts and um, change some people's views and minds and make things a more open and accepting place. So that's why I'm here. I'm still Logan, <laughs> and uh, I agree that it. I think that it's a really important conversation to have, and I hope that by talking about it more, we make it a, a better for people who are growing up and who who don't necessarily feel like they fit in and can maybe find themselves um, by having these conversations and by hearing these conversations if they're more at the forefront. There are definitely things that I wish I had known when I was growing up, and it would have been really helpful to me to hear these things that I couldn't put into words myself. So I hope that somebody else can get that out of this. Well, I guess that makes me Amy. Um, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of younger trans people, and I see the struggles they go through. And like the other said, I just like to make it a better place, make it easier for them to become themselves. And I think the only way that's going to happen is if people get to know people who are transgender and just know that we're just normal people trying to make our ways through life. Is there something or anything that you had to let go to get to this point? Some idea of yourself, some group, just anything that you had to shed to be here? I mean, for me, I think it's different because I, you know, I, my husband and I, we had to grieve our son, um, which for me, I think gaining a daughter was kind of cool. Like, I, it was a little easier for me, I guess, than for, for Chris. He lost his firstborn, first son. Um, so that was, that was, it did have its, its moments, but the child that we have now is, I mean, like I said, she's so confident and happy and, you know, I, it's, it was worth it to kind of go through that grieving process. So that would, that would be my answer, I guess. When I was first coming out, I read that for a lot of older trans people, it's important to kill off the old you. You can go through transition, do the medicine, change your clothes and everything, and still be that old person. So I worked really hard at killing my old person. And I mean, you kill, in a sense, you're killing yourself and you don't know who you're gonna become. That, that was very difficult. It was worth it because I think I feel so much stronger now, but it was a very, very hard thing to do. I think that for me, it's kind of the opposite where I feel like I've needed to reconcile things about myself that I want to maintain, like mannerisms that I have or even the way that I speak and dress is I still want to be able to do those things and still have them be accepted as part of my new identity. Whereas maybe somebody would expect me to be more masculine and I'm not that way. And I've definitely had to let go of feeling the pressure to be more of one thing than the other with, with transitioning. 
I would kind of agree with that. As the Amy part of me became stronger and lived, then I had to go back and, you know, what do I want from my old life? What do I recover? What do I keep? So, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Did your circle, did your community have to kill off the false version of yourself? I've had several friends, and I think one of my brothers told me that that was a big part. They had to kind of go through a mourning process, and then after that was over, they were able to accept me. Did you find that in your circle or in your family circle? I haven't found that at all. I don't think that, because it's really been important for me this whole time to say that I'm still the same person. This is who I've always been the whole time you've known me. It's just something that maybe you didn't know about me. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change the way that I am. So I don't want you to mourn because you haven't lost anything. I'm still exactly the same as I was yesterday. And as far as I'll see, I think that that's kind of, you know, Elsie may have changed on the outside, but like Elsie really has always been who Elsie is now. I mean, she's she's never really changed. Like she's always been her. So I, I like agree, like that's how I feel as well. But I guess the mourning process was more as a parent, like where you, you know, where you see your child eventually, you know, like you have all these like hopes and dreams for your firstborn son that, you know, your first child that this is going to happen and you kind of have to realize that no matter what if Elsie was still Luke that that may not have ever been the case anyway you know just as Max I mean you know I want him to be a football player and he might like soccer I mean I don't know I just threw that out there but you know what I'm saying like so (laughs) I like I do think it was more of mourning who we thought we had not because Elsie has always been the same person and even like the teachers at school said that they're like Elsie's just happier because she's able to truly express who she is. She's not changed at all, and parents have said that too. So, I I definitely had the same thing with my mom when I came out um, as gay when I was fifteen. She went through I guess what you could consider a mourning process that has lasted for the last <laughs> eight years. She still hasn't really gotten over that. Um, but it's been a lot of mourning who she thought she would have, a daughter that she thought would, you know, go to homecoming and prom and would grow up and get married and have this wedding that she envisioned for herself because I think that those are things that she didn't have when she was younger. So when she had a daughter, she wanted those things for me because that's something that maybe she would have wanted for herself. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's been hard for her to project these these things that she perceives as success and happiness onto me, even though those don't apply to me. Mm-hmm. Those those things aren't things that would make me happy. And regardless of my identity, those were never things that were going to make me happy anyway. Right. Are we overthinking this idea of gender? Like, are we putting, you know, Jessica, you touched on it a little bit, like, no matter the pronoun, it's a person, and we need to treat that person how we want to be treated like a person. Do you think that just in general we're overthinking all of this? I kind of feel like maybe if someone's like, oh, I don't see gender, is it like the same as when someone, I eye roll and someone's like, I don't see color because that's part of your experience. You know, I'm black and that has shaped who I am now. And maybe is it, do you feel like maybe it's the same way for gender? There's no right or wrong answer. I'm just... It's kind of like a cycle because, you know, you think that, gender is not a big deal, but somebody else is making it a big deal. So then you have to talk about why it's important for you to be read the way that you feel inside. So it's kind of like, you have to bring it up to defend yourself to people who think that it is a big deal. And I think that that has made this a much larger conversation that it needs to be. But I, I think that it, it does need to be had because it's, it's been an issue in the past. And I think that Moving forward, it shouldn't be such an issue, but because it has been, it's something that we kind of need to talk out now. I think that we should definitely be putting the person before race, gender, sexuality. I think that, that, like you said, that's a concept that should be easy to grasp, but for some people it's not, and so we do have to highlight, well, I'm this gender and I wish that you would respect that because you should respect me as a person anyway. And I think that sometimes when somebody says, oh, I don't, I don't see gender, I don't see race, I think that it's well-meaning, but I think that sometimes it can be a little bit disrespectful of that person's identity and their, their journey and 
how they understand themselves or their experience. Yeah, it might, it might feel dismissive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Amy, you spoke about there being a difference between intellectual and emotional acceptance. Like you, and I'm wondering, I'm opening this up to Logan and Jessica, was there a point where you knew here, but it took some time to know it in your heart? Yeah, definitely. I definitely feel like it was hard because there were things that I knew that, you know, I knew my body didn't feel right. And I knew when I got a little bit older, I knew that other people were transitioning and I felt like maybe that was something that I wanted, but it took a long time for me to say, it's okay if I do that. And it took a long time for me to accept that it was okay to do that. So I definitely think that there was a point in time where I knew that that's what I needed to do, but it was hard for me to accept that I was allowed to. Um, I would say that I don't for like for my child, I would say that she she knew the whole time, and it was more of I wasn't she wasn't allowed to. Um, for me, I feel like um, in my heart, I just. I knew, I knew this in my heart, but in my mind, I couldn't, I couldn't understand it. Like, is this real? Is this some, like, I just didn't understand what any of it meant, I guess. And so I had to kind of like educate myself and, but my heart led the way because I just let her, you know, I let her kind of lead the path. So I let, you know, and as, as we were going down the path, I educated myself and, and realized that, you know, she's a normal child and she's you know now living her best life and so so yeah I think it all had to catch up and eventually did but it took some time I think there's an underemphasis on the psychological side and if you look in the media where they're always talking about you know physical changes and hormones and surgeries and a lot of people like to sexualize it but I think that was, for me, the real struggle was in my head and mm-hmm. you know, having to figure out who I am and see myself differently. And since I'm older, rewrite my whole past so it makes sense for who I am now. That's a lot of work. And I, it, it's usually just passed off. You know, it's just something that happens. And I think that's a huge part of a transition, at least it was for me. I definitely feel like I've had that experience with people in my life, though, who understand it intellectually, but it takes more time for them to experience it emotionally. But I've also had people who, because they care about me, they understand it emotionally, mm-hmm. but it takes longer for them to wrap their heads around it mm-hmm. and to understand what's what's really going on. And it's not that they don't accept me, it's that they just right. don't understand. Right. So I think that that's, yeah. that's really interesting that yeah. you put it, to hear it from the other side yeah. directly like that. Yeah. Well, because I just, I do think that, you know, I, and I keep saying this, but like, you're scared of things that you're not that you don't understand and mm-hmm. you don't know and so I think that's part of the reason why people are kind of like whoa what is I don't get this but then once they like hear like for us they hear our story and they see it from a parent's perspective and they're like oh my gosh I get it like and that and yeah I mean and for us it was the love of our child that we wanted to do anything to make sure that our child was happy and healthy and lived a good life so yeah what do you want listeners to take away from this podcast, from your story? What do you want them to feel? Um, well, my ongoing theme is kindness. <laughs> I'm just, if you keep I saying mean, it, I people do, will get it. I know. Hopefully they will. But just, you know, like, just give people a chance. Like, don't, let's not be so quick to judge and to think you know. I mean, everybody walks a different path and, you know, don't. Unless you're walking in their shoes, don't be so quick to judge and think you know what's going on. Take a minute to get to know that person and understand that person before you're going to pass a judgment as to if that's weird or strange or they're doing the wrong thing or whatever, you know, whatever their thoughts are. That, you know, everybody's a person, like what you said. Like, just look at a person as a person and and treat them how you treat others how you want to be treated. I don't know. I agree with that. I agree that I think what is most important for people to take away and what I wish more people understood is that it's, it is different for everyone and that the most important thing is to just try and understand and put the effort in. And I think a lot of people don't even want to try it because either they don't understand it and don't care to, or 
they're afraid that they're going to mess up and hurt someone's feelings or they're afraid that they're going to offend somebody so they don't even really want to try and I think that it's it's really important to just put in the effort you know nobody expects you to be perfect 100% of the time I've never felt like I've gotten upset with somebody who accidentally calls me by the wrong name and I think that that's a fear that some people have that I'm going to be angry and think that they're doing it on purpose but I think that just just putting the effort in to understand what somebody's going through and that they're a person too and to give them a chance to and to understand. On behalf of our guests and Women of Cincy team, thanks for taking the time to listen. We hope you're excited to join the conversation of what gender inclusion could look like here in Cincinnati. For more perspectives from our community, check out our series of essays exploring the question, what is gender inclusion, at womenofcincy.org slash gender inclusion. Shout out to our fantastic podcast team, hosts Liz Rosevear, technical editor Myra Moorhart, interviewers Danny Clark and Myra Moorhart, project manager Abby Bruce, producers Kirsten Foyter, Tasha Pinello, and Myra Moorhart. Creative Director, Chelsea Walter. Additional thanks to Shmiko Early-Coleman, Sandra Okut-Cutbear, Courtney Reynolds, Devin Vaughn, Stacey Wagley, and Heather Willens.